0: let's turn to ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 while you're there while you're turning there I've got the sign-up sheet passing around for vbs I thank you guys when you pray come on ansonia when you pray what do you pray for now i'm not asking for the church answer i don't want to know what you should pray for right i want to know what do you actually pray for yeah Every morning I get up and say, Lord, give me what you want to give me today.
1: That's a good prayer, Gene. And yeah. I may not like what he gives me, but, <laughs> but I accept it. Sometimes I walk and two flat tires on my top. That's not. Right. <laughs> but I accept it and I don't get as angry <laughs> Interesting. as I used
0: to. Yeah, that's good, Gene. Anybody else? Just whatever's on your mind. What so do you a real pray for? No, I want to know, what, what do you actually pray for?
1: Well, one of the things that I pray for is that when I'm working on something that needs to be done, I stay focused yeah. on it to get it done yeah. instead of getting distracted.
0: Focus. Great. When
1: I pray, I do, something I've tried to start an application is, and you may have seen some of those, I respond to to prayer requests. Mm-hmm. On the social media, yeah. I don't yeah. say praying for you. They ask for a prayer. I write the prayer in That's good. So yeah. it's an, a lot of my praying, especially in the written, is in response to somebody's needs.
0: Yeah. Uh, anybody else? What When you pray, what actually do you pray for? It doesn't have to be everything, just one thing God's healing power. God's healing power. Yeah, very good, Kelby. Mark. Uh,
1: To give thanks. Yeah. For a lot of
0: blessings uh, that I tend to overlook. Yeah, that's man. That will. That's a great exercise, a great spiritual exercise that can uh, slow you down in a very good way, if you take time to think about all the good things that one has, even even just the people in your life, right? Yeah.
1: Kids, grandkids,
0: and coworkers. Very much so. Yeah. Right. Friday. Girls yeah. are off off at A and M. Yeah. Yeah. We for our children
1: too.
0: Definitely. No hmm Yeah. <laughs> I protection for my family. Um, you know. Life, yes, sir. Yeah. All right, now show of hands. Have you ever told someone what you pray for them? Like, where you told them, hey, I'm praying this, and you lay out specifically what you're praying for them. Show of hands. Good. I guess that's what a written prayer. A written prayer <laughs> By definition, <laughs> that would be it, yeah. What kinds of things, what kinds of things do you think might happen? Yeah, this is a VBS sign up sheet. Make sure everybody gets it at least twice.
1: <laughs> I,
0: I asked. If, if you have ever told someone what you have prayed for them. Yeah. Um, what do you think might happen if you haven't done this? What do you think could happen if you do start telling people the kinds of things you pray for them? Maybe. Yeah.
1: You'll, they'll understand it. You know, you'll, you'll, then you'll end up following through with
0: it. Ooh, that's good, Mark. Yeah.
1: I have a good friend who's a geophysicist, of the same trade I am, I and mean, he's actually a better scientist than I am, sadly. But that's big of he, you to admit that, though. No, I, I, I'm 69. There's no point in hiding it. <laughs> and he's an atheist. Hmm. And uh, people, he's kind of reluctant about it. People tell me he is, but he hasn't been with me. Interesting. And I'm not sure why entirely that but his wife had breast cancer mm-hmm. about five years ago i called him up and said i hear your wife has breast cancer and i know you're not a believer but would you mind if i pray for you and she he said mike we need all the help we can get okay so he didn't get angry that i was yeah. that. uh and i think that partly because that i've uh, worked work closely with him in business and paid attention to his ideas and, and but also i'm not a hypocrite like some of the guys yeah. yeah and and so it's different for in that
0: that's good mike uh, that, that's incredibly meaningful also in a similar way after paul opens up the letter to ephesians with this beautiful what is really a, a shepherd's blessing of sorts uh richard i appreciated what you said and truth be told I had, I had forgotten or uh, not looked at the bottom of the sheet. So when I started talking about the Lord bless you and keep you, and Andy said, well, we've got to sing the last song. I looked at it, and was like, oh, that's that song. Wow, I, I didn't remember that. Um, I appreciated putting that into context there, uh, Richard, and your shepherd's blessing. Paul opens Ephesians with what is essentially a shepherd's blessing. And then he turns and tells them what he's going to pray for them. In Ephesians 1, verse 15, let's uh, follow along as as I read this for us. Ephesians 1, verses 15, through the end of the chapter. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay. What does Paul pray for God to do. Paul prays that God will do some specific things for the Ephesian believers in these verses. What are those things? I
1: give you a spirit of wisdom.
0: I give you a spirit of wisdom. That's right. What else?
1: Eyes and heart be enlightened.
0: Eyes of your heart. That's an interesting metaphor. It uh, doesn't show up anywhere else in Paul's letters. But yeah, that, that's the idea. It um, personifies the heart. In a way that I think is really meaningful. So maybe uh, we might know him better. May know him better. Yeah. What? What specifically? What specifically does he want us to know? In uh, verse eighteen, know his inheritance. What do you say, Mike? The hope. The hope. That's right. The hope. The inheritance, and something else in verse nineteen. We need to know something else. Great power. Great power. These three things are particularly noteworthy. Verses 18 and 19, that's where we're going to camp out for a little bit. Verse 18, God has called us, or God wants us to know the hope to which he's called us. Now, when you hear the word hope, what do you normally think of? Faith. Faith, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Something to, look to. Something to look forward to. Now, when you hear the word hope, right, do you, do you always feel very confident about it? I'm not talking about it in a church context. If somebody says, well, I hope that happens, do they feel pretty confident about that?
1: <laughs> and, yeah,
0: it's on your 50-50, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see which way, you
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, uh, The way we tend to use hope, it, it's kind of iffy, right? Yeah, I hope.
1: We're not hope putting any commitment to it. <laughs> it. Really, there's not a lot of commitment there.
0: The the way that we tend to use the word hope, that's right, Mike. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Now, what does Paul, in this context here in verse 18, what do you think Paul means when he says hope, the hope to which he's called us?
1: Looking forward.
0: Look at something that we're looking forward yeah. to. Yeah, Joe. I
1: wonder if hope there's a bad word. Yeah. I mean, maybe they should translate it better. Uh,
0: that is a good question, Joe. Well, the hope, if we,
1: the hope is based on faith.
0: Oh, Charles, it's that's it's a good point. Yeah, if your hope is based in faith, that's right, this fidelity that we have. Well, if you reverse yeah.
1: it, what's the reverse of hopelessness? Yeah. Okay, that's total despair. Right. And so in this context of this is hope that we are... We have a promise, we see the promise, mm-hmm. we know we're getting the promise. We're not gonna give up hope.
0: Yeah, that's good, Sean. I like this uh, quote from uh, a New Testament professor who is uh, at Houston, uh, Houston Christian University now. She says, it's interesting that Paul speaks of knowing hope as we typically think of hope as something not quite settled, right? A bit indefinite. Yet when speaking of God's salvation plan, there is no uncertainty. Paul's point, therefore, is to remind believers that full realization and actualization of their salvation is coming. They can know hope because Christ's blood brings redemption, something Paul mentioned in chapter 1, verse 7. This sure hope is related to their calling by God and put into effect through Christ chapter one, verse four, and confirmed by the Holy Spirit, which Paul mentioned in verses 13 through 14. The hope that we have as Christians is something right out of the book of Hebrews, right? It's a confident expectation. We have a confident expectation that God is both capable to do what he says he can do, and he's faithful to do it. My hope is built on nothing less than my best effort, no.
1: <laughs> some some
0: of you are about to about to amen that then you realize what I said. <laughs> My help is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness? Yeah. On Jesus. It's built on nothing less than Jesus. And Jesus' own faithfulness to God's plan. Jesus is that model for us. Jesus' own faithfulness is important here because he modeled what the kind and quality of faithfulness that we need to have. And so this is the first thing that Paul wants his audience to know. Their hope rests on something incredibly certain. It's not, man, I hope my good days outweigh my bad days. It's Jesus has done this, and I can know that I'm in Christ because I've received that down payment of the Holy Spirit that he mentioned in verses 13 through 14. It's incredibly solid. It's not wishy washy and indefinite. The second thing that Paul mentions here is in verse 18. He says he wants you to know the riches of God's inheritance. Now, remember, I just, like just a second ago, I mentioned the Holy Spirit. Take a look at verses 13 through 14, okay? Verses 13 through 14. In him, referring to in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised what? The Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit that shows ownership, that's protection. It, it, It means all of those things. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Another way to understand this word guarantee is something like a pledge or a down payment until we acquire possession of it. You've got it already, not fully, but you've got it already. Because Christians live in the tension of you already enjoy the blessings that God is going to give you in Christ, but you're not yet there. You've got a foot in, and you're heading in the right direction, Lord willing, but you're not quite there yet. You're not home yet, but we'll get there. We'll get there. So the, the riches of his inheritance in verse 18, the idea of referring to an inheritance, loops us back to verse 13 through 14, where we have the Holy Spirit. Now here, I hope this is an easy question for such an astute group as this. What does, Joe you've you paid attention? <laughs> what does the Holy Spirit do in the life of the believer? What does the Holy Spirit do in the life of the believer? How
1: long
0: have you got? <laughs> <laughs> Not very long. So give me it the... It doesn't
1: take the Holy Spirit long to help work.
0: What, what, what is that, Gene? It doesn't take long for the Holy Spirit to work. Yeah, that's true. What does the Holy Spirit do in the life of the believer? Comfort. Comfort, yes. Guide. Guide. Enlighten.
1: <laughs> like,
0: like, <laughs> Bother us sometimes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a fair chastise. way to put it. Chastise. <laughs> sometimes, right? Doesn't the Holy Spirit generate Christ-likeness, right? Hey, yeah. who, who embodied, what human embodied the fruit of the Spirit better than Jesus? Okay, yeah. So the fruit of the Spirit, the, that word fruit there, means the, the product's. If you need to run with that metaphor, the produce of the Spirit, okay? <laughs> All right? The fruit of the Spirit is what the Holy Spirit generates. Who embodied that better than Jesus? Who are we supposed to become like? Jesus. How are we supposed to do that? By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir? I can say it the Christian. It replaces our conscience. It becomes our conscience. It begins being in the world. Yeah. It, I, 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 like, I like how you put that. I, I think we could look at it and say it begins chipping away at it because some people's conscience is so corrupted and perverted by well, sin that, that they would... E- exactly.
1: Like, like, that, like you said before, we never get there, but it helps us get there a lot more than our conscience.
0: However, that's we? right. We grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And that, that's part of the riches of this inheritance if anyone in here can look back at any point in their life and say thank God I'm not like who I used to be right and you might have you might have even grown up in church okay and you can still say that right if you can look back and say thank God I'm not like how I used to be then guess what you have experienced the riches of God's glorious inheritance which is given to you by the indwelling Holy Spirit man that's exciting that's exciting it, the paul's letter to the ephesians is i think one of the best examples that shows us that the christian life is so much more than just do's and don'ts right it's an easy mischaracterization i would say a gross mischaracterization of the christian life to say that it's just a list of do's and don'ts now obviously there are things there that you know you have do's and don'ts you could boil it down to some degree but the way you have to kind of do that is, is think about it like this. You're talking to spiritual children. I tell my boys, don't run out in the street because you might get hit by a car. I don't need to go into all details about that. I just need to tell them. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. here's, you know, here, don't say this to somebody. Why not? It's like, well, it's mean. And I don't need to tell them all the details about, you know, what could happen and how if you continue to repeat these kind of negative things to somebody, then they might actually learn that over time and then... And then the therapy's expensive <laughs> afterwards, okay? All right. The Holy Spirit is, you know, is, is generating within us a Christ-likeness that brings about this kind of, this rich, abundant life that Jesus promised in the Gospels. That's what Paul means here in verse 18, the riches of God's inheritance. And one other point, too, along these lines, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with the third thing. According to chapter one, verse seventeen, the Holy Spirit gives us further knowledge about God. Take a look there at verse seventeen. See precisely what He says here. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation. I think that's. I think the word Spirit there is referring to not just our like inner spirit, but our but the Holy Spirit that generates within us wisdom. And Paul's use of the word revelation here uh, is really something along the lines of like insight, better understanding. It's something that we previously were not able to see. We were incapable of seeing it. And then as God began working on us, we began understanding more clearly his will, right? If you've ever started a new job and you stayed at that job for a long time and you look back now and let's say you've got a couple of decades invested in that and you see the people who are new coming in and you see them making the mistakes that you used to make, right? Those rookie mistakes. Well, guess what? You had that knowledge and experience. You've got that knowledge and experience. I can see my Greek students. I've, I've taught Greek for four years now, new Testament Greek with Harding school theology for four years now. I see when they make those mistakes, I can look at that and say, these guys are beginning Greek students. They've never never touched the Greek New Testament in their lives or if they did, they took it in undergrad seven years ago and now they're back to get a master's degree. And I see them make those mistakes and I know I used to make those mistakes. Now I know what to look for. I have gained the wisdom and the insight into this skill set. Growing in the Christian life is much the same way and it's the Holy Spirit that generates that growth. And one of the best ways that the Holy Spirit does that kind of growth, that generates that kind of growth, is by being here with us, being a part of the body of Christ, which is the very last thing that Paul mentions in verses 22 and 23. But take a look at verse 19 now. The third thing that Paul wants us to know is the immeasurable greatness of God's power now, here's where you know, we're going to wrap up soon. And here's where it might get a little weird. And I have never minded leaving y'all with a cliffhanger because you'll come back next week. <laughs> all New Testament teaching and doctrine. So all New Testament teaching and doctrine was intended to instruct believers in Jesus to see the world as Jesus saw the world. OK, right. You know, there's, there's something to be said, how many, uh, show of hands, how many of you are familiar with the world, term worldview, right? Like you know, how you see the world, right? You know, there's, there's all kinds of different worldviews, um, whether they're religious or secular or political or whatever, there's all kinds of different worldviews. The New Testament teaches us to see the world as Jesus saw the world. And because of the corruption and perversion of sin, it is a long and difficult process. But by God's grace, the Holy Spirit works on us and begins teaching us how to see things the way that God sees things, the way that we understand reality. The Bible operates the same way, right? God, it's God's Word. It teaches us how to understand reality. We don't have that immediate access to Jesus in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit working through God's Word begins shaping us to be able to see things the way God sees things. The worldview of the Bible is not a simple, what we might call materialistic worldview. Now, what I, don't, what I mean by materialistic there, I don't mean like consumeristic, where you like, you like to buy a bunch of things, right? That's not what I mean by materialistic. I mean that in a more philosophical sense, that the world around us is more than just the material that we can see and observe. Science is an excellent way to understand the world that we can see and observe. And thankfully, scientific observation gets better and better at helping us see and understand more about our world. But the Christian worldview is, there's just more to it than what we can see and observe. There's a whole spiritual world out there that in the first century Believers were much more sensitive to that. Believers were much more sensitive to that. It was a day-to-day concern of people in the ancient world that spiritual powers for good or for ill were out and involved. And in a society like that, in a world like that, where there were real spiritual forces afoot, Harassing others in what the New Testament calls you know, possession, or prompting others to do good, which would be the Holy Spirit. Paul makes this incredibly practical point for people in a first century audience. You don't have to worry about these powerful, evil spiritual forces because guess what? God's power is so much greater. God's power is so much greater. It looks like the forces of evil dominate through the Roman Empire. John wrote a whole book called The Book of Revelation about how evil spiritual forces empower political forces to crush and destroy and oppress humans, and particularly to harass God's people. That was a real thing for them. Paul sits here and says, you have incredible spiritual power for you if you're in christ yes evil is real yes it's ugly and vicious but yes god is more powerful do not fear and that's how paul closes his prayer here at the beginning of ephesians thank you all very much we are past time see you guys later y'all take care